The sermon for the 15th Sunday after Pentecost is from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 16, uh, verses 1 to 15. Uh, The sermon is entitled, The Perpetual Mercy of God. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, did you notice as we read the Gospel text today, I think it brings up a question as us good Lutherans would always ask. What does this mean? I mean, just read that gospel text. And there you read it and you tell yourself, wow, this is a difficult text. Not only to read, but also to preach. Well, that's what I told myself earlier this week. So we're going to dive right into this because that's what we do. So let us begin. To set the scene, there was a rich man who had a manager that was wasting the rich man's possessions. Now, in any other case, at your work, if this would have happened, what would have happened to the manager? He would have probably been fired on the spot, maybe even put into prison for what he had done. Yet right here we see the key theme of the day, the perpetual mercy of God, Because what does the rich man, the rich master, what does he not do? Rather than firing him on the spot, he actually gives the manager some time to figure out his next steps. That's interesting, isn't it? How gracious and generous and merciful the rich man is. Yes, the manager knows his time is short, but while there is time, what does he do? Well, he seeks favor with the debtors by cutting their debts. I can imagine what the debtors had thought. Wow, the master giving orders to his manager to reduce our debts. How gracious and generous and merciful our master is. However, what they did not know was that the manager was soon to get his pink slip. Well, finally, when the rich master heard what the manager had done, well, what would any other master do? Oh, any other master would be enraged. Not only was he wasting possessions, but now he is reducing debts, right? The perfect employee, right? Not really. Yet this was not the case, is what does the rich master do in the text? He commends him for his shrewdness. That's an interesting move, right? Commending him for his creativity and cleverness in the moment. Why again does he do this? Well, because the rich master was indeed gracious, generous, and merciful, And because the manager knew this, that's why he did what he did. Because, well, he is shrewd. And he was commended for it because he knew the master. He knew what was to come. And here we reach the tension of the text. For though the disciples had received these words, there was also, as we read in the text, the Pharisees. The lovers of money, as they heard these 
things. And as lovers of money, Jesus says, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Now, what does that mean? That's a tough one there. That is the mammon, the trust in possessions, how the world quickly clings and are directed by these things, how shrewd they become for their lives are centered on these things, on these possessions, that they focus all of their energy, all of their wisdom on me, 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 and what I need in this world to secure my life. That is why the sons of this generation are so shrewd, because this is all they have. It is of this world. And there the sons of light are, the children of God. That with these possessions that God has given by His merciful hand, there they go to serve mercifully in what God has shown them first in His grace and mercy. See, no one can serve two masters, Right? Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the tension. On one hand, patterned by the Lord, the merciful Lord. Yes, we do proceed by his grace, mercy, and generosity. But yet we also, in our sinful nature patterned by the love of mammon, of possessions and money, there we proceed also in our temporal possessions as it guides us. And the subtle thing about this is, you know, how we see this word of Jesus, God and money, we can't serve both, how we love to set up the fence and sit on the fence, telling ourselves, well, you know what? I can have the best of both worlds. And trust me, my friends, the devil loves the fence because he very well knows that it can't be both. He tells you it's both. He tells you you can have both. But there at the end of the day, if it is both for you, inevitably at the end of the day, because of our sin, we will trust in our flesh, in our mammon, It's all about the pattern. It's all about who your God truly is. You know, money is not evil in itself. You know that. Yet, when these things, these possessions become everything for us, God knows our hearts. He really does. How everything becomes about money, how we are controlled by it. How idolatrous we, we cling to these things more than God. And how does this play out in your life? Ask the question. Don't just stay on the surface. How does this play out in your life? Maybe it's working hard for the sake of a certain lifestyle. So many hours you put in just to keep up with the mammon that you have, even to the point of, working so much that you forsake the word of God. Though initially convincing yourself, no, I can have the best of both 
worlds. Yet at the end of the day, your decisions, your choices, your paths in life are all directed by the earthly securities and prosperity of this world. And maybe it's for your children, how we tell them how important it is to study, to achieve academic success. I know Abe's looking at his mom right now. (laughs) You know, why do we tell our kids that? You know? I think a lot of times as parents, we too fall short of that, telling them subtly, yes, you have to do all these things all for the sake of security in this world, because that's all that matters. You know, the big car, the big house, the big retirement fund, you need to set yourself up. Those grain houses, you need to set up. We might not tell them that. But as we teach them, how quickly we tell them how important mammon is in their life. You know, even in our giving of offerings, our tithes, as we continue the ministry here at Faith, the outreach, proclaiming Christ. You know, when you hear the word about giving, it's not just giving. That's not what you should hear. But rather, it is the deeper, and that is our ultimate trust in our merciful Lord who has given us all things by His gracious hand. Because it all begins in the pattern to which He gives to us first, He is the true God. He is our true Father. We are His true children. We praise God from whom all blessings flow. Do you believe this? That all things come from our Lord? Yet the tension is giving can become a burden. We hear those words and we tell ourselves, this is what we have to do, rather than being a moment of joy. What's happening there? How easy we pattern ourselves, not after the one true God, but after our fleshly idols, as they bind and hold us captive. And yes, our old Adam says, more, more, and more, mammon, that's what you need, more things, more money, more me, me, and more me. And this is the great distraction. This is the great temptation that is before each and every one of us, the pattern of the flesh. So engulfed we are in ourselves that even the love of neighbor, the gracious and generous and merciful work that is before us, how that takes a back seat to our priorities, our self-centered, selfish ambitions and our own greed. Do you see the pattern and how it plays itself out in our life? How the words, you shall be like God, are weaved so meticulously through this pattern. And yes, it's all about the pattern. And and I ask you today, what is your pattern? To whom does your pattern live around? Ask yourself this. Is it mammon? Is it your trust in the possessions of this world? Is that what controls your thoughts, your aspirations, your direction, your focus? Of course, we repent. 
We repent for our own false trust, our own idols, the mammon that we hold so tight because we cannot serve two masters. And thus we repent. See, any other master would fire us on the spot, wouldn't he? Any other master would give you the pink slip and say, go home to eternal condemnation. Any other master would say, do better, show me your worth, attain your status. But we know who our master is. The one true God, who is gracious, generous, and merciful. For if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, this is who our master is. This is our Lord. Our Lord is the Lord of mercy. And how merciful he is. See, he sees our sin. And what does he do next? He shows us his compassion shown to us by sending us his son. The son who is the merciful, suffering servant for each and every one of you. That in our sin, a sin that we cannot remedy for ourselves, our Lord is merciful and says, I am your remedy. Because I am the only remedy. There is no other way you could be saved but only in Christ alone. And by his mercy, he comes into the flesh. He dwells with sinners and he dies for them and he dies for you. Death upon the cross, his crucifixion, shedding his blood to forgive you of all your sins over death, over the power of the devil. Your sins are washed away by the mercy of God. That is who your master is. That is the one true God who by his mercy nailed and pierced his hands upon that cross with the crown of thorns. He is merciful for you because our Lord is the Lord of grace. So gracious, free gift, free gift. No limitations, no extra that you have to do, but a free gift given to you. This is who our Lord is. And by that free gift of the gospel, there you have been delivered from the domain of darkness to his marvelous light, as you are right now a child of God, all by his gracious work, the blood of the Lamb. This is your master. This is the one true God who worked salvation for you. This is your pattern. The blood of Christ, who has set you free. This is who you are right now. You have victory in the one who rose for you. Shaped and defined, patterned by our Lord's gift, his generosity, it all flows from him. And because of it, death does not win. No, because the Lord's work does. And your name is in his name, where death 
its sting is no longer as you live to everlasting life. You know, this is what money can't buy. It can't buy you salvation. It can't buy you forgiveness. It can't buy you eternal life. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Mammon, the trust in these things of this world can, can give you nothing. No matter how good it looks in front of man, it'll give you nothing. By the grace of God, you have been given all things. His sacrifice, the gospel. And with a clear conscience, forgiven and won for, yes, you are, you proceed in the pattern of His grace, of His perpetual mercy, serving in His name giving in his name, living sacrificially in the pattern that was given to you by the grace of God in his name, who has restored and strengthened each and every one of you as you live in his perpetual mercy, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. This is the Lord's work for you, and you are his workmanship all by the grace of God. Let us pray. O Lord, keep your church in your perpetual mercy, and because without you we cannot but fall. Preserve us from all things hurtful, and lead us to all things profitable to our salvation. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Sermon from Faith Lutheran Church in Moorpark, California. For more information, visit us on the web at faithmoorpark.com.